awoke to Michelle saying, I smell smoke. And I'm a pretty light sleeper, and I set up, and, and I looked at her, and she had this panicked look on her face. And I was like, are you sure? Are you awake? Are you asleep here? And she's like, no, 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 I, I, I smell smoke. I smell smoke. And so it was a, a cold night. It was during the winter, and, you know, had to get out of bed and look around the house and didn't want to do it. But, you know, I responded to that because I trust her. When she looks at me and she says something, even if it's in the middle of the night, like, I'm going to believe what she's saying. And so I went throughout the house looking for the smoke, came back to bed, and she was sound asleep. There wasn't any fire. But nevertheless, um, you trust the people that you're around that you love. And when they say something, it means something. Well, Jesus is presenting a last chance warning to trust him. And yet the religious leaders don't respond to it. He's warning them in this text to trust him, to repent or to change, and to act on his warning, escape the faith, fate that would otherwise come upon them. And so how are they going to respond? So we're back in the book of John today. We've been here for 34 weeks. This is week 35, and we're in John chapter 8. And yeah, you can look ahead and see how many chapters there are, and though it's going to be a little while, right? But we are going to take a break this summer and do the book of Philippians uh, during the summer and then come back to the book of John. So John chapter 8, verse 21 through 28. I'm just going to read verse 21, and then we'll pray and we'll look through this passage of Scripture. So Jesus said to them again, I'm going away, and you will seek me, and here's the warning, you will die in your sin, and where I'm going... You can't come. So let's look at this passage of Scripture after we pray. Father God, we know in our hearts, we know through the evidence of the fact that you lived, you died, you rose again, that what we do here today, while maybe seeming foolish to the world, makes perfect sense to those who are children of you because all we can do is respond to you in worship, as Mitch said for the great sacrifice that you made on our behalf. And God, I thank you for the purpose and the meaning that you give to our lives. And today, as we look at your words, that may they reinforce this and how the gospel changes us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So if you've been with us through this, you know that the Pharisees are beyond skeptical of Jesus. Uh, they're cynical of Jesus. And we live in a, in a day and age where, you know, the, the thing is fake news, right? We got to deal with fake news. There's so much fake news out there. And Look, we think maybe if you're younger, this is a new thing because of the internet. Look, fake news is not anything new, all right? Those of you who have been around for a while, you know of these things called like the National Enquirer, right? They are in the supermarket, these tabloids, and the crazy things like these headlines that they put up on the, that I'm going to put up on the screen for you from a, 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 a newspaper called World Weekly, Weekly World News, the only, the world's only reliable news source, right? And so, you see these sensational claims, crazy stuff, right? And so people make these incredible claims. And, and the reason I show you that is because as silly as you think people survived the Titanic and we're still there, or that they found Satan in, I think, Afghanistan or Iraq, wrote it said, when Jesus made the claim to be God in the first century, people were very skeptical, as you can imagine, because they'd grown up knowing that there was one God and they prayed it every day, several times a day, that there's one God, God is one. And, and so as they worshiped him, 
and learned and recited and knew the scriptures, then Jesus shows up on the scene and he's claiming to be God. He's the son of God. He's the son of man. He's the son of God. And so what are they to do with that? What are they to do with that? And so he makes these incredible claims and the people in the, the, many of the people respond and at some level believe, and many are true believers like the disciples, but many others are just skeptical. They won't believe anything that he's saying. And I found it to be true that when people don't want to follow Jesus, they come up with all sorts of reasons for rejecting him. And so they demand that Jesus cooperate. They, they, he shows, he backs up this support. We saw this last week with witnesses. Give us, give us witnesses to prove that you are who you say you are, Jesus. You're claiming to be God. Show us witnesses for this. And Jesus, as we talked about last week, not to re-preach the sermon, but we can't prove supernatural claims with natural substance. And so, obviously, nobody could substantiate Jesus' claims as far as a human. That's why he said, the Father and I are the witnesses to this claim. Jesus is self-authenticating. God is self-authenticating, meaning that when they heard Jesus speak, and they had an open mind to receive him, then they responded to that truth, just like you did if you put your faith in Jesus Christ. And then in chapters 14 and 16 through 16 of John, we're going to see that the Holy Spirit will be added later as a qualified witness to Jesus. So Jesus gives the religious leaders this final warning. This will be the last time that he directly says to the religious leaders of his day, you have an opportunity here to believe, to repent, and to turn. And so, in verse 21, when, it sa- when he says to them again, this is the second time that he said this, he says, I'm going away, warning number two, I'm going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sins, where I am going, you cannot go. So Jesus knows the future. As I've tracked through this book for myself, it's been great. I mean, just walking the path that Jesus walked, being there, hearing the things he said, just being very slow and methodical going through this book, and just learning more and more about Jesus' life and his words and the person who I've given my life to follow, I want to know everything there is to know about him. And so there's this incredible enrichness that comes from just going slow through this book, and I hope you're benefiting from that as well. But it's amazing to me, as I read a lot of different things, that there's so many liberal scholars or people who write, saying, you know, they, they have faith at some level or did have faith at some level, that they say things like, Jesus never claimed to be God. Or, you know, Jesus you know, didn't claim to be deity, or Jesus didn't know that the cross was coming. He was kind of taken off guard by the fact. And, and it's hard to believe that they could read the same manuscripts that we're reading, which they claim to be reading, and come up with totally different conclusions. Because it's clear, and Jesus here, he's saying it again, he's going away, not just referring to his death and burial, but to his resurrection and ascension. And he says this to them, he says, and you're going to seek me, all right? So while that could mean several different things, I think for sure that it means that the Jewish people, as we know, continue to seek Messiah. Jesus is going away. They missed their opportunity. Israel continues to look for a Messiah, but Messiah came. They didn't realize that he'd already visited them, and they'd already rejected him. So in verse 22, so the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says, where I'm going, you cannot come? You remember the first time that Jesus said this back in chapter 7, they said, is he going away to the Gentile regions? So now they've, I think they're, they're just showing their cynicism. And th- this is clearly an attempt to slander Jesus. 
But since suicide in Judaism was considered to be an act of an insane person, a crazy person, and so here he is. Is he going to kill himself, right? He's crazy. We know he's crazy making these inc- incredible claims. And so Jesus, he doesn't respond directly to this attempt to slander him, but what he does, he responds by telling them why they can't understand who he is. Look what he says in verse 23. Jesus said to them, You are from below, and I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. You're from, I'm from above. You're from below. I'm not from this world. You're from this world. All right, if you've been going to church here for any length of time, you know that I'm from the state of West Virginia. Anybody else born in West Virginia here besides me? No, I think I'm it, all right? So anyway, uh, it's interesting growing up from West Virginia. It's either because people have forgotten their geography or history or they maybe never learned it in school, but it's amazing to me that here we are, you know, in my youth in the 80s and 90s, I'd meet people and, oh, where are you from? I'm from West Virginia. Oh, I have a cousin that lives over in Richmond. Well, so? And, and, and people, they think that West Virginia and Virginia are the same state, all right? Now, look, I, I, you're not from there. You don't appreciate this. This guy right here, he's from, he's from Virginia. And he said this to me literally when I told him. I'm using this illustration. He's like, it's two different worlds. Yes, it's two different worlds. And sadly, West Virginia is not the better of the two worlds, all right? And, and, and so it's, it's two different places, yet people confuse them. Two totally polar opposites. And that's what Jesus is getting at here when he's speaking, but it's a lot different than Virginia and West Virginia, okay? He's saying, I'm not from here, I'm from above, but you're of this world. You're from below, and I'm from above. I'm not from here. And he and the Jewish religious leaders are from two totally different places. So get the picture here. They're religious people, all right? They're they're people who study the scriptures. They know the scriptures. They memorize the scriptures. And Jesus says, yes, we both claim to know God and believe in God, but we're not from the same world. I'm from above. You're from below. You're of the stuff of this world. I'm not from this world. And at the end of the day, that's all that makes a difference in life is where is you, where's your origin and what have you come to be part of and where are you going? What's your destination? We'll talk about that more in a second. So Jesus is from God. He's following God's will and he speaks God's truth. Their origin, like every human being who's ever been born, is sin, darkness, and death. And so he says, you're born in sin, you're born in darkness, you're born in death. And if, things, if something radical doesn't change then you're going to die in that sin, is what he's telling them. You're going to die in your sin. So Jesus is saying, this is who you are. And you will die in your sin. But then he says, he shows them what the the barrier is between these two worlds, the world above, the the, the world here on this earth, the system of this world. He says, unbelief is the barrier between these two worlds. Look what he says in verse, um, verse 24. He says, I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So this world is dominated by Satan, his influence, what he desires. You can either be part of that world, or Jesus says, if you believe in me, if you put your trust in me, you can have your identity rooted in God and who he is. 
And so the natural person, the person by default is born, what Scripture calls being born in Adam, you're of this world. But to be born again, as Jesus said in chapter 3, is to be born from above. And Jesus, trusting Jesus, is the door, the pathway, is the way that we receive that kingdom and come into that world. Otherwise, there's this barrier here that cannot be crossed. It cannot be pushed through. All the good works that you do and all the things that you try to achieve will not get you through that insurmountable barrier. It must be Jesus and Jesus alone. And once a person looks upon Jesus and believes, he or she will no longer be of this world. And so you are of this world, and I am not of this world. Now, Jesus is not talking about the physical world that we're walking on, the earth that we're walking on. What he's talking about here, and I love this, this definition I came across, it'll be on the screen. It says, the world is Satan's domain where his authority and values reign, although his deception makes it hard to realize. If you are of this world, then it all seems right. Keep that on the screen. I want to read that one more time. This world is Satan's domain where his authorities and his values reign, although his deception makes it hard to realize. If you are of this world, then it all seems right. It makes sense to you. And Jesus said this in John chapter 17, which we will get to sometime in the future, but it, he really hits us about our identity and how that we as believers, those who have put their faith in Jesus, how we operate in the system that we're still part of. He says, I do not ask that they be taken out of the world, the disciples, but that you will keep them from the evil one. So don't take them out of the world. Jesus says, leave them in the world. I want them left in the world, but protect them from the evil one who rules this world. Verse 16, for they are not of this world, just as I'm not of this world. So just like Jesus said, I'm not of this world, his disciples are not of this world. So he says, sanctify them with your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. So you get the picture? You're in the world, but you're not of the world as a believer. You're still operating in this system, but you can't let the values of this system change you and can make you conform to it. You have to be constantly on guard with that. When I was a kid back in West Virginia, there was a creek that ran through our town called Mill Creek. And now Mill Creek was a pretty decent-sized creek. It's on the left. But on the right is what happens to Mill Creek when there's a lot of rain. And particularly back when I was younger because they had not established dams and things like that to help control the flooding. And so during the times of a lot of rain, it really provided some pretty cool, cool adventures for kids, all right? So, so we had, we, somebody had given us this rubber raft, and we went over to some friends' houses after a pretty hard rain. It wasn't flooding, but it was definitely, there was a swift current down here. And so we get in this raft, and we begin to go down Mill Creek. We're having a blast. It's so much fun. It's a great time. Well, sadly, a little hole begins to appear in our, in our raft, and water starts to come up into the raft. And at first, this wasn't a big problem because we were able to keep going. It was no big issue. But pretty soon, the hole was getting bigger, and some other holes began to reveal themselves. And they, the, the water began to come into the to raft, and we began to have to get the water out of the raft because we were going to be unable to continue what we were doing. 
And we saw pretty soon that this was a losing cause, and we ended up having to just trash the raft because it was no good. It wasn't worth saving. So the raft was designed to float, and it was supposed to stay above the water, and water is not supposed to be in the boat, obviously, right? And that's a good mental picture for us. Jesus has left us in the world, but we must be constantly on guard against the world's thinking getting into our minds, into our lives, into our homes. We are called to engage in this culture without allowing its morals, its values, its attitudes, and its behaviors to infiltrate into our lives and into our minds. And we know how tough that is, right? It's so easy to cave into and allow the thinking, the value system of the world to become what we value versus what Jesus values. I think probably the the clearest illustration of this, the one that's so easy to, to buy into, is the fact that Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for them. And our world says, destroy your enemies or at least, you know, oppose your enemies. Force yourself, your, your, your opinion over your enemies. And here we live in such a hostile time where people are constantly at each other. And the church, unfortunately, is as guilty as this as anybody because we've allowed that world's thinking to come into our minds, which is very natural, apart from Jesus. And so we hate our enemies. We hate that other guy or that other party or that other person. And so we're constantly thinking we're at war against these other people or these other ideologies. And the truth is that while there is a war for sure going on, the war can't be fought in the way that we typically, and the world fights it, which is to be militant and angry and to go after people and assault their character. Jesus said the way you fight this battle, first and foremost, is to pray for your enemies, to pray for your enemies. And out of that comes a whole different disposition to live in this world, but not be of this world. And so this picture here that Jesus is painting, he's saying, you're of this world. You're living, even though you claim to be religious and you claim to know God, you're living by this world's values. I'm from a different place. I'm from a totally different mindset. I'm from God. I'm here to do his will. I am God. You notice he tacked on that. We won't go into that again this week, but he tacked on the I am statement, pointing to the fact that he is Yahweh God, and he says, I'm by a different system. I come from a different place. I have a whole different view and a whole different teaching than you do, you religious people. And so the picture, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of the world, of the earth or not of the earth. And today we have the privilege of having a super visual illustration of what Jesus is saying here as far as believing in him, trusting in him, and then being transformed and changed and transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, to being dead, to being alive. And that is baptism. Baptism is a perfect picture of what happens in someone's heart, in their life, when they believe. They look to Jesus and they say, I believe. This unbelief barrier has been broken down because I believe. I look at Jesus, I trust Jesus, and I am literally taken from this kingdom of sin and death and darkness, and I'm transferred to the kingdom of God. And he gives me the Holy Spirit. And so baptism is a a beautiful picture of the fact that I no longer live to myself. And I think we leave that part out of the gospel. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. In fact, 
the verse from Romans chapter, I think it's chapter 10, uh, I'm sorry, verse 6 of chapter 4, it says, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. What is that about? We no longer live in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might live a, what kind of life? A new life. Totally different because we live by a different value system and it's not just willpower and rolling up your sleeves and pulling up your bootstraps and mustering it up and I'm going to do this. The Holy Spirit comes inside you and gives you the power, the strength, and the will to live for God's value system and his will. So today, right here during the message, we're going to pause and we're going to do baptism because I want you to think back to your baptism and I want to think back to the time when you professed Jesus and then you followed him in believer's baptism in order to show the world what has happened to you. That's what this is. We have two incredible men being baptized today. We have Lane MacLeay and we have Baylor Johnson. And you guys come on up here. And I'm going to start with Lane and baptize him. And mom and dad, if you want to come up and get a good picture or hang out with him up here and be able to, to, to support him. But Lane, just come on up here in the water. Mark's going to grab the heater out or turn it off. Thank you, Mark. had the privilege to get to know this fine young man this year at school, and he came to me last week, I think it was, and met with me and just talked to me about his desire to follow Jesus in baptism, and I hope you do, you're hearing what the words I'm saying, that you're showing the, the world what's changed in you, and I always tell young people when they're baptized, it's, it's going to be tough, it's going to be difficult, you're going out into a world that's going to fight everything that we're talking about, that they're going to think you're silly, you're crazy, you're insane, for following Jesus and his values. And today, you're making the statement to the world and to your friends, to your family, that things are different now. You're not going to be perfect when you come out of the water, but your mindset is what Jesus has said in these verses, is that you no longer live, but Christ lives in you. So, Lane, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Based upon your profession of faith, I baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Just hold your nose. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. My name is Baylor Lee Johnson. I want to get baptized so I can show others that I'm a true believer, believe in Jesus. I don't want to live with God. He's born so he could die on the cross. Greater love has no one better than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friend if you follow my command. John 15, 13 through 14. Isn't that awesome? This guy, if you've not talked to this guy lately, this guy is full of energy and excitement and he can articulate himself so well. Proud of mom and dad for discipling him, extended family, for Grace Church, learning those verses in Awana. It's all right. Have you trust? Do it. I learned that verse in school. Oh, awesome. At Grace Christian Academy, he learned that verse. Awesome. Learning it in school. Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Yes. 
Based upon your profession of faith, Baylor, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. Let's just pray right now for, for these guys. Father God, I thank you for just the incredible moment that we just had where these guys profess to the world what's already happened in their heart and their lives when they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And God, I thank you that when they die, they will not die in their sins because they've looked to you and they believed upon you. And God, I pray for anyone in here who's cynical or skeptical, God, I pray that you will allow today the words of truth, the illustration of baptism to get through to their heart. And God, may they respond. In Jesus' name, amen. Sadly, in verse 25, the religious leaders don't respond to the warning. Jesus said, unless you believe, and they said to him, who are you? Who are you? Now, that, that's a great question, all right? If you're working with someone who doesn't know Jesus, and they begin to ask, who is Jesus? That's a very, very good place to be. But over the last weeks, we've seen a lot of people responding to Jesus, what do you mean? But here the religious leaders actually ask Jesus, who are you? And if you're a skeptic, I would encourage you to honestly entertain this question with an open mind. Look, we all have our presuppositions. We've all had experiences. We all, even maybe some of you have been hurt by church and people in church, and you've seen hypocrisy in church. Well, Nobody's perfect in this room, okay? And, and everybody in here will let you down at some level if you look at them too much. But the truth is you can look at Jesus, and as I said earlier, he is self-authenticating. You look to Jesus, you read his words, and there's just something supernatural about this. There's something supernatural about the truth. Now, sadly, the, the Jewish leadership here, they're probably mocking him again. It's sarcasm. It's probably saying, who do you think you are, Jesus who do you think you are to make these claims and say this to us? Who, where do you get off on saying that stuff to us? But Jesus had stated from the beginning who he was, his identity, and over time he's been clearer and clearer about who he's been. But he, he's been consistent. Look at verse 25. He says, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. He's been consistent with his message that he is declaring what God has sent him to declare. He's a spokesperson for God, and he's there to give his message and then he's ultimately going to die on the cross, as he's saying here in just a second. Verse 26. I have much to say to you, he says, and much to judge. But he who sent me, again, referring to the Father, is true. And I declare to the world what I have heard from him. So Jesus says, what I hear from God, I'm telling you. Because I'm one with God. Verse 27. They did not understand that he had been speaking about, to them about the Father. You know, one thing that I've learned when talking to people about Christ and about the Bible and just about faith is the willingness to listen really is a choice. It really is. Like I said, you can go into the conversation just set on getting your way across, your opinions across, being, uh, just showing how smart you are by objecting to all the truth that's being given to you through Jesus Christ. And a person's intent comes before their ability to understand something. And that's really important to remember. And Jesus talked about this back in chapter 7. And I want to read this verse again back from 7. 
it says in verse 17, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking of my own authority. So get what he's saying here. He's telling these religious leaders, he's saying, you claim to know God, but if you really want to know God's will, if you really want to know God, if you're willing to keep an open mind and listen to me, he says, you're going to see that I am not speaking on my own authority. There's just something supernatural about Jesus. And, and obviously he showed that through his miracles and signs and his wonders. But they chose not to believe that stuff. They, in fact, they said Satan was behind it, right? They, they found excuses for not believing the claims of Jesus. And so as we sit here today, you can truly dismiss Jesus. This is some historical fairy tale. You know, this is something that, you know, just people just, it, it was made up early on by the early church and passed down, and we're, here we are sitting here believing this lie. Or you can start investigating on your own the claims of Jesus Christ. I've known so many people over my life that have literally said, I want to know truth. You know, I'm not getting any younger. Everybody ends up at the graveyard, right? I need to know what's real and what's not real, what matters and doesn't matter. And, and many people have investigated different religions, but so many people that I know have come back and said, I just can't get past the claims of Jesus in just the historical account that exists, because there truly is, if we approach it with an open mind, there truly is something supernatural about his words and about his life. And I've seen that. And so he's saying, look, the house is on fire. I smell smoke. The house is on fire. I'm giving you this warning. Are you going to trust me or not? Are you going to trust me or not? When we end each of our sermons here, we give a head, heart, and hands application. Why do we do that? The head has about, is about learning, is about knowledge. We have to have knowledge. But sadly, the leaders of Jesus' time had a lot of technical knowledge, but it ended there. They did not know God. They knew about God, but they didn't truly know God. And so we don't leave it at the head level of just wanting to know more about God. We, we also talk about the heart. What is God saying? What is he speaking to me through his word about? And then we talk about the hands. There should be application to what we do and what we say. We should take things and do what Jesus said to do. And so the, the head application today is this. We need to realize that we are incapable. We are incapable of producing our own faith. We are incapable of producing our own faith. Look at verse 28, what Jesus said. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father has taught me. So he's saying the message of the gospel will be on full display in the cross. And think about the millions and millions, and dare we say billions of people over the centuries who have looked to the cross and believed on Jesus. People who have seen Jesus lifted up glorified, exalted, and they see the empty tomb that we celebrated a few weeks ago on Resurrection Sunday, and they are able to respond as Paul says in Romans 10.9, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, intellectual head, your heart, and your hands, then you will be saved. The action, we believe, we trust. Jesus, I see. I know that you are the Messiah, the true Son of God. 
because I believe it in my heart as these guys reflected in baptism today. And then our heart application. I encourage you to, to even if, if you've been a believer for years, I encourage you to cry out to God for a vision of the cross. To see the cross more clearly. Ask for faith to receive the gospel for the first time or to grow in your embrace to your appreciation of the cross. Will you do that, honestly? I think back to a time when I was in my late 20s and we went to Memphis, Tennessee for an event called One Day, Passion One Day. And there was probably 50,000 students at this event. It was outdoors, we camped out. And that was the first time in my life that I heard Pastor John Piper preach. And he, he preached an incredible sermon called Boasting Only in the Cross. It's available online, incredible. I just remember the impact it had on me. And so here my, my head was full of just incredible information. My heart was exploding. And then they went into this song, uh, The Wonderful Cross. And it was kind of a modern edition of this hymn. And during the course of this song, as they were leading the song in front of all these thousands, a couple college students, I don't know how they got the cross, if they brought it ahead of time, was this plan, but they began to walk through the crowd carrying a cross. And they carried the cross, and it took five minutes probably to walk from the back of the back of the, the field to the front and as they got into everybody's eyes vision everybody turned and watched the cross being carried up to the front and then they got to the front and they set the cross down and then what happened next was what was displayed in that picture and you can't see the full thing that just kids would begin to run and just dive at the foot of the cross crying screaming many were standing around just worshiping and and I'm back you know, 40, 50 yards back, and I'm, I'm watching this, and just tears begin just to flood down my face. Because I got a, a, a new vision of the cross. When Piper talked about boasting only in the cross, and then to hear this song and the emotion of the moment of these students and the response, and it just hit me in a way that it had never hit me before, that Jesus on that cross, taking on the sin of the world, taking on my sin, and I'm, I'm, I'm afraid that too many of us, we get apathetic and we get lethargic in our spiritual life because we've taken our eyes off the cross. You don't move past the cross. You don't, I, okay, I, I accepted Jesus, now I move on to other things in, spiritually. You never get past the cross. You never move beyond the cross. And it's through our love and appreciation and contemplation and meditation upon the cross, through every passage of Scripture we read, through everything that we do, every ministry that we partake in, if we look to the cross, it changes everything. So here's my encouragement to you, believer. Get a vision of the cross. And keep that vision of the cross. And ask God to keep that in front of you at all times. And those who are not a believer here, Today you have an opportunity to respond to this gospel message. And it's interesting, we're going to respond in a way that you never, never thought of because many churches, you do an invitation, you come forward to respond. We're going to take communion, the Lord's Supper. And if you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, just literally as you take the communion elements today and as you open that up and take the bread and you take the juice, just say to God, God, I believe. I, I, I'm putting my faith and trust in Jesus Christ for my substitute, for my sin. And, and I believe for the first time that I'm trusting you and I'm trusting the cross. And I believe, God. I believe. And so today, as we take time just to examine ourselves, and as 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six 26 says, as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, it says we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 
We, we basically preach the gospel to ourselves here at church. We're proclaiming the gospel again and again to ourselves. So as you take the communion today, preach that gospel. Ask for a fresh vision of the cross. Help, ask the Holy Spirit to just make this real and renewed into your life. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to just take about a minute of silence just for you to pray. And we'll walk back and take communion with my family. And then we'll have one last song. But I pray you'll respond, and those who don't know Christ, respond for the first time today. Father God, I thank you for Jesus. That he makes sense of our life. And God, we apologize on behalf of the entire Christian community. And we repent the fact that so many people have twisted faith in you to mean that their life gets easier and better and that you give them all the stuff they want or need. And God, what an abomination to what you called us to take up our cross and follow you. And God, I pray that today that we'll repent of just the wrong way that we looked at the cross and we'll see the cross for what it is, the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory died. And God, I pray that, that our lives will be renewed and today won't be a, a one and done reflection on the cross, but we'll take this with us and we'll preach the gospel to ourselves again and again and again. And God, I pray for the skeptic today. I pray that you will uh, just give them faith, God. Help them to see just and, and, and feel just an irresistible call to you. And God, we pray that today they will respond and come to you. We pray in Jesus' name.